from VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast, Friday edition. Guys, what you watching? <laughs> we haven't oh, done uh, one of these in a while. I'm just very curious. Yeah, um, we, on the recommendation of Tim McCurdy, have not stopped watching Alone. Are you serious? The series, yeah. Um, we are on, so we watched season eight, which was on Netflix, and then season seven. Yeah, that's what I and now, and then we watched season one, and now we're on season two. <laughs> so, like, you're really into it. Yeah, we're really into it. So, the premise of this show is a History Channel show. Is ten contestants are pretty much dropped in the wilderness somewhere around the world, mostly in Canada so far, um, with like ten items to survive for as long as they possibly can, um, and they win five hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars. Um, if they're the last person there. And it's really remarkable. When you say survive, what do you, you mean like not give up, right? Not like they are letting the other nine people die, correct? Right, yeah. So they, so, okay. sorry, <laughs> I didn't. I, <laughs> it's a very grim show all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm so sorry. They're like survivalists or they're homesteaders. And the idea is that they, yeah, they, they live out there and they, hunt for themselves and they make shelter for themselves. There are weekly health checks, um, but otherwise they're just to make sure the people are, are still like well enough and healthy enough to be out there. But um, otherwise they're by themselves as the title suggests and they can tap out or, you know, quit whenever they want to. Um, but yeah, the otherwise the idea is to kind of be out there for as long as possible. And, and like I said, it's, it's just the, the ingenuity and the resourcefulness of some of these contestants is really impressive. Adam, obviously you've seen the show, Zach, I recommend it, but it's amazing. I mean, but like I watched season eight only yeah, and I enjoyed it, but I feel like just like it wasn't that one was, it was not the one to start with. It was like kind of boring. They don't do like right. no one the, catches anything. The land didn't give them much. Yes, in that one. And so, yeah. So Tim <laughs> keeps trying to encourage me that I need to watch a different season. Yeah, you should. That's like more exciting because mm-hmm. this one, like, literally, the dude that put on the most weight before the competition makes it to the end. Yeah. You know, it's like he's, he, who who can out starve everyone else? Yeah, there was a lot of like malnourishment and starving in that season because people weren't catching enough food. food. Yeah. yeah. Um, or foraging enough. Um, but they build, yeah, they build like log cabins and stuff. It's crazy. It ma- it's amazing. It really is crazy. It's impressive. I legitimately cannot believe that this is a show that you enjoy watching. I, I <laughs> yeah. it sounds, it sounds, it sounds a very small step up from the, I think, extremely popular. It's like either Norwegian or Danish or some, some Scandinavian country show about stacking wood. Like, no, there, there's actual real TV out there, guys. You don't have to watch people not catch food. Like <laughs> okay, well, what about you, Zach? What are you watching? I um, well, the, the best thing that I've been watching lately, Caitlin and I have not finished, so no spoilers. Is Andor? I haven't oh, watched it. We started watching this. Mm-hmm. This is a Star Wars thing. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is a Star Wars thing in in that it is like an amazing TV show wearing a Star Wars suit. Is this the one that like everyone thinks is the best so far of all of yes. them? Yes, by oh, really? an enormous margin. Mm. Who did this one, Zach? Tony Gilroy, who's a he also directed Rogue One, which was one of the like yes. ancillary Star Wars movies that I also thought was very. Oh, good. and isn't it like about Rogue One, like the guy? 
it's a prequel sort of um it sort of tells his story of the okay Cassian Andor yeah okay and like the thing about it that I love and you know look people can like Star Wars for a lot of different things I don't think Keith is currently in the room but I'm sure he will hear this eventually there are people who like you know the pew pew and the lightsabers and the like whatever (laughs) and that stuff is fine and like I like that stuff when I was a kid I think my biggest complaint about Star Wars more recently is like there have been times when there have been Star Wars things that are feel like actual grown-up things like they're for grown-ups and they're not clear-cut who's good and who's bad and they require you to like do some critical thinking and then the fanboys go ape shit and like then they remake Return of the Jedi and with like the same basic plot beats and it fucking sucks and it's just like (laughs) it's fan service for the worst kinds of fans and Andor is like not any of that it's like there's no Jedi's there's no force powers there's no there's basically no starships it's super grimy and like about you know revolt and rebellion and politics and oppression and fascism and it's great and really cool and complicated and and there are not a lot of like there are people who you root for some of it because they're on state on screen a lot and maybe because you believe in the general like ideology they espouse but the characters you know the, the hardest thing to do i think in general in in whether it's film or tv is to make characters who are quote unquote the villains who are both compelling and feel like actual people and the show mm-hmm. has several of them and that's hard, i think really difficult to do it's it's you know darth vader is a beloved villain but darth vader especially in a lot of the star wars shit is just the bad guy who does bad things and occasionally gets more personification than that and that's kind of cool mm-hmm. but most of the time is just like a bad thing and it's a, a sort of a force of evil and is impressive and ominous and and sort of scary in that role but isn't particularly interesting and um yeah, so I think that's that's the best thing that I have been watching lately. I've also been watching because there have been a lot of like random times at day and night when I'm awake with my daughter um, that I watch. I've been watching The Witcher, which is an HBO, not HBO, sorry, a Netflix show. Um, oh, yeah, I know. I've heard of that one too. Which is like not as good, but is fun. It has Henry Cavill as, as Henry Carol. Cavill, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, it's like, he, you know, it's like, what if like the grimdark Superman was like actually in the right universe for a grimdark <laughs> and uh, also had really cool, like bright yellow kind of cat like eyes and there's like monsters and, you know, it's like, it's definitely like not the deepest show, but it's good at four in the morning when I'm like, why won't my fucking daughter sleep? So that's, that's it for me. How about you, Adam? So watching a few things, first of all, I know that Keith loves Andor too. Um, he talked a lot about it to me, but, uh, and I don't know why I haven't started. So, Mostly because I think – so we've discussed this before, right? I don't have a lot of my own shows. Naomi has her own shows that mm-hmm. she'll watch like in the early morning, sort of like when she wakes up as she's like having a smoothie or something. She'll watch like 15 minutes of something. So it'll take like four days to watch one episode. But in the morning – because she's a big reader at night, right? Mm-hmm. And then, But then we'll watch shows together. So we're watching, I think, three shows together right now uh, that we'll sort of switch off. White Lotus, which is – Great. I love mm-hmm. this. The second season's great. I'm enjoying it a lot. It's almost over. Two more episodes. We'll oh, see what okay. happens. Who dies? Who knows? Uh, the second is um, we really like Mythic Quest. Mm-hmm. It's really funny. It's on Apple TV. It's hilarious. Uh, and then the third, which is kind of depressing, is Fleischman's in Trouble, which is 
excellent. I mean, the acting the is, yeah. yeah. And like Naomi, you know, Naomi has worked with Taffy. The book was great. And the show is very true to the book. I think that uh, Taffy Brosner Acker is, is her full name, was very involved in the, in show. the show. Sure. And so it's very true to the book. Mm-hmm. It's depressing, right? It's about divorce. Right. So it is, it is a depressing show. Uh, and they're both horrible, like in their own ways. Both the husband and the, it's like it's from his perspective, but like they're both horrible. So in their own ways, like so it's uh, and there's some some scenes that are hard to watch, but it's very well done. Uh, it's just I like just don't love Jesse Eisenberg. He's he's kind of like a kind of punchable face, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he's very good in it. What's it on? Uh, FX. Okay, and uh, Adam from the OC is like plays like his friend that he reunites with is very good in it. I forget Adam's last name. Uh, like the, the Adam ca- Brody. Yeah, Adam, the cast is really good. Yeah, the cast Claire is, Danes and um, yeah, she's the wife, right? right? But yeah, so they play husband and wife and who are separating. She is, she plays being horrible really, really well. And he plays being like the over intellectual mansplainer, <laughs> like gaslighter, very well. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just, they're, you kind of, at least at this point in time in the show, you're kind of on his side, but like, you're kind of not. Do you know what I mean? But he, at this point, is a little bit more redeemable than her, but but also horrible. Those shows are always so hard to, like, keep following when nobody is... You can't sympathize with anybody. Yeah, oh, totally. This is, my, this is my complaint about much prestige TV, is, like, a show where no one is... Where you hate where everyone. everyone. is a bad person. I'm just like, I don't... Yeah. I, my, there are enough bad people in real life... <laughs> both that I'd have to deal with and just know about. Come on, it's literary fiction turned into TV. Let's you know. I mean, what I'm, do you think literary fiction is? Uh, uh, it's but not always just that. Eh, this is the, the, the characters are very nuanced. Mm-hmm. I guess it's like there's a lot of depth to them. But yeah, like there's a. It's 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 very. I mean, as an ad, as adaptations go, it's it's very well done. Nice. Um, so now for another hot take. Magnum suck for entertaining. <laughs> okay, that's so funny you should Adam. say that because we i feel like we were just talking about how they would be great for thanksgiving and other things yeah so maybe they're not and uh <laughs> what happened yeah so i think that like what the magnum does is i think the magnum is for a very specific time and it is for the more that i've con- like entertained with magnums i think they're great for buy the glass programs at a restaurant that wants to be able to like serve wine, you know, like uh, uh, maybe a nicer wine, but can give a better price point because they bought the magnums of it. Cool. Whatever. It's also like a, does that happen often? I mean, that's like Coates whole thing is oh. like all their buy the glasses out of magnum. Okay. Uh, I also think it's like a nice gimmick, right? Um, yeah. I think it's but, more a gimmick than a price saver. I having bought magnums for, for at, at a, you don't get a big, Sometimes you pay more because the glass is more expensive, but often you're paying essentially just double the 750 price. Yeah. So, like, I think, you know, it's a gimmick and people are, you know, doing by the glass, whatever. That's that's fine. But I think that the problem with the Magnum is unless you're with a bunch of people that know the wine or the winery, it's an actually real commitment. And I and the problem is you're never going to open like multiple magnums at once at mm. a party, at a dinner party, right? And so therefore there's like this – it almost feels like 
there's this slog to get through the bottle to get to another bottle. So what happened to me at Thanksgiving was ultimately I didn't want to do that. So there was a lot of wasted wine. Mm. There was a lot of, you know, I brought um, four Magnums and we wound up with like basically four half consumed Magnums. Because like, because you the, wanted to move on. People to were like, "Yeah, like, I don't really want to drink any more of the rosé. I, I don't really want to drink any more of the Chino. wine." No, I don't think so. <laughs> but what if you have twelve people? I think it's. I mean, like, I think it's good. But you have to have all twelve people who are like really in. The only wine that we finished was the Magnum of Hirsch. Mm-hmm. Right. Like everything else was kind of like, uh, like I'm kind of sick of the Cab Franc now. Or mm-hmm. I think you have to be with a group of people that are really. Very, very much wine people sure. who know the producer are really excited about the wine and like can't wait to drink multiple glasses of that wine. Mm-hmm. And I think in most settings, that's not the case. I think in most settings, you're people who like like to try a bunch of different wines and 750s are much better for that. Mm-hmm. Like, cool, we'll pour through the 750. Everyone gets a, you know, a three ounce pour of it with a 12 person dinner party. And let's move on to the next wine that everyone gets a taste and say they had a lot of fun tasting. Mm-hmm. I actually think that like maybe Magnums as like this cool party thing are overrated. Do you ever get like a case of one wine? For a party? Yeah. No. Okay. I think that also is kind of like, I don't know. This isn't a wedding. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You know what I mean? But I've known people would you like to, to do that. Would you like the red or the white? Right. Like, I don't, it's not a wedding. It's like a dinner party. Like, the part of part of what's fun is that you get to taste multiple different, different things. Wines, yeah. I just, yeah, I think maybe the Magnum sucks. Maybe it's great for weddings. Magnums are great for weddings. Okay. Boom. <laughs> I think that the thing about the Magnum is there is an optimal size gathering where it is a good choice, and it's probably slightly larger than the average dinner party. You know, yeah. if you think of a dinner party as six or eight people, I do kind of agree with you. Because if you think about it, even eight people, a Magnum is a full glass of wine, at least for everyone. And you're totally mm-hmm. right. You know, unless it's something so incredible that people just are like, oh, my gosh, I have to have more of this. And it's hard to know that in advance sometimes. Yeah, people might not want a full glass of anything. I mean, the point of, as you said, Adam, the point of some of those kind of gatherings is you're tasting, you know, six seven eight nine different wines in an evening you're not having a full glass of each otherwise it would be a problem but you might want to have a couple of ounces the magnum is great for a slightly larger gathering if you're having you know 12 16 people over and stretching a 750 among across that many people or even most of them might be really difficult so in that sense i think there is a place where a magnum fits but it's maybe less common than we'd like to talk about it might be that there just isn't that much utility i also Mm. think the other thing that can work for a magnum is like as a one wine among a larger gathering where, or even a dinner party, but not only Magnums. Like it might be that for the, the wine you see serving with the main course, you want to get a Magnum of something because that way, yeah. if it's going to be the one thing that you might want a full glass with, you know, whatever your main course is, that might make sense to me. And you before and after can proceed it with, with seven fifties. I, I, but I agree that maybe rolling up with nothing but Magnums does kind of leave you in that bind when people are like, Oh yeah, yeah. The rosé was great, but I'm ready for something else. And then you're like, oh, yeah. well, I have, you know, I have, I have so much more. Rose. I have a full bottle's worth of, of rosé left. What am I going to do with so it? There's so much more rosé. Yeah, and it's that's a bummer. Like no one likes to have wine that goes to waste or or gets you know have, has to get turned into cooking wine or whatever. I mean, you know, there's ways to to get some utility out of it. I think though the other the reason that the other reason that magnums are good, but it's not it's a a very niche thing is magnums do I think 
work if you're looking to kind of put wine away and, and have it for a special occasion and age it for a while. They age more slowly. It has to do with the sort of uh, amount of wine in the bottle versus the size of the opening, which is you know essentially the same as a 750, but there's twice as much wine. So the wine will age a little slower or more, you know, kind of more gently, I guess, is a way to put it. But again, like, yeah, it's cool to be the person who comes to a gathering and has a 20-year-old magnum of something. But like, that's like, who are we talking to? I mean, you know, a fair bit of our audience probably specifically. Hey, guys. But um, most <laughs> most people even listening here and, and most wine drinkers, that's just like, that's not their life. They're not buying magnums and sticking them away for 15 years so they can impress people in 15 years at a dinner party. Like, mm-hmm. if that's you, cool. I mean, podcast.vinepair.com. You can invite us. We'll come drink wine out of your magnums. But I do agree that like in the context of service in restaurants, it is a cool gimmick that people definitely respond to. And yeah. it's actually in that setting that I also think actually magnums are valuable, even just not as glass pour vessels, but as t- things at the table. I can't tell you the number of times that I like had to sort of convince uh, larger gatherings. Like, why don't you get a couple of magnums of wine? You want everyone to have the same wine. It's not a wedding, but it's a gathering where you're trying to do, right. you know, serve 10 or 12 or 14 people. And it's like less clunky to have a magnum of, or two magnums of red wine open than four red bottles of red wine, like takes up less table space. It's easier to kind of have a sense for how much has been poured, like it's easier on service. But again, those are kind of narrow applications. I do agree that they get talked about more than probably justified given their utility. Yeah. I guess that's my point is like everyone, like it's like, it's, it's the celebratory bottle. Like you have brands that are now like only going into Magnum. Yeah. I want to talk about that. Like, so what do we think of that then? Like, do you think that the whole business model is going after the novelty of it? Yes. And is that sustainable? No. Or will it be successful? <laughs> I think it's a novelty. I think it's like, for me, it, I don't see how often someone's going to pull the Magnum out. Or like how often will you get that wine again? It can't be your go-to wine. No. If it's only sold in Magnums. Like yeah. Hirsch is lovely because you can get Hirsch 750 bottles right. and then you can get a Magnum and that's amazing wine. But to have only Magnums available to people, I feel like is making your wine for a very specific occasion only. Yeah, I think it's impossible. Well, and I think the other piece of it is, is like not only are you – sort of setting your wine apart and saying it's only for this specific kind of occasion and only for these kinds of wine drinkers. But you're also like putting a lot of stress on like people, a lot of people are not like, you know, if you have a wine fridge at home, magnums often don't fit very well. If you want to, or have, you know, shelving it often, they don't fit. You know, I have the magnums at home and I have to have a, a separate place that I put them because they do not fit. I think the one kind of wine or the two kinds of wine, that actually work really well in magnums. They shouldn't exclusively go into it though. Are like, I mean, f- f- high end, I guess, but but especially like mid or low lower tier sparkling wine and rosé. And despite your experience, Adam, I do think a magnum of rosé at like not in the winter, but say in the summer, can be a really fun thing to break out. Like it feels like a party. Same thing with like I don't know a magnum of prosecco or something. I have some of those at home because they're fun to bring to gatherings because. You know, the sparkling wine can, you know, kind of sometimes run out quickly. It's not a big deal to me if we don't finish it because it's not that expensive a thing. And it just feels celebratory. Like the size there does matter. But I don't know that I would, I don't buy a lot of my high end or more high end wines in Magnums because they're just, they're, yeah, the, the op- opportunities I have to open a Magnum of wine are relatively few and far between. And I am sure that I have many more of them than most people. 
Yeah, it feels very impractical. Yeah. Plus, they're heavy. They are heavy. They're, I find them hard to serve from. The really big bottles are a nightmare. Like, I've had to serve from... Like a Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, just like... You're just like... It's a. It's more an act of, like, weightlifting than it is an act of <laughs> wine service. You're like... I, ugh, I have some... I, I mean, fortunately, never any really bad experiences in terms of, like, uh, dropping or spilling a whole lot. But, like, it's a fucking nightmare to serve out of those things. And whether that's serving for someone else in a restaurant or just trying to, like, serve them in, you know, when I've brought them. It's like... It, it, again, that's just a like. Look at this thing I bought. Aren't I great? And you know, whatever. Some of us need to feel that way from time to time. That's cool. But yeah, I just I the seven fifty is a perfectly fine size for almost every application. It's a great size. What did we have for the Vimepair staff party this summer? What was that? A Jeroboam? Yeah. Which is a three liter bottle for most of you who don't who may not know that. But that and what's fun. a Nebuchadnezzar? That's bigger. Right. Uh, that's a, it is bigger, but I don't remember exactly what. It's also weird because like there are slightly different definitions based on like still wine versus champagne. I think I don't remember. I, oh, I used God. to have to memorize all this shit. I have gle- gleefully forgotten most of it. So. <laughs> okay, fine. Magnum suck and don't suck. <laughs> no, I feel like we're all on the same page. I don't think anyone's making a hard case for magnums. I think the way we came down is the right answer, which is like, you know, very limited time and place. They should exist, but they, they're they not like the secret to being the greatest entertainer of all time. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Well, with that. <laughs> Do not gift Adam a Magnum. No, I'll take a Magnum. Just I'm not going to bring it to a dinner party. He's just going to sit at home and drink it all by himself. Out of a straw. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us your thoughts about Magnum. Let us know. And, and we uh, hit us up at podcast.vinefair.com. And I'll see you guys on Monday. Have a great weekend. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Jabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.